And cue music. We are back here with another episode of A-Sides. This time, Andy going solo here, and I hope you're all uh, staying healthy out there. Um, This episode, we've got a special guest who I'm really excited to talk to, and he's got a pretty deep uh, resume. He's been in such bands as Bombshell Crush, Caprice, he plays with Damon Johnson, he's with Tom Kiefer, and he's got his own band now, the Eastside Gamblers. Uh, So I'd like to welcome uh, Tony Higby. What's up? Hey, man, uh, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Now, I've heard a lot about you over the years because uh, I know uh, you're like resume, but then it was like last year I finally got a chance to meet you, and you are playing up at uh, Rascals uh, with your band uh, Eastside Gamblers. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. I found out that you're actually from Illinois, too. I think like Monmouth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, born and raised in Monmouth, and... Uh... I was in that area until my mid twenties. I, you know, I graduated from uh, Western Illinois University in Macomb, and uh, then I left after I got out of Western. And uh, at the end of '99, I moved down to Atlanta at the beginning of 2000, and I was down there until roughly August of uh, 2003, and then I moved up to Nashville to join Bombshell Crush. Thought I'd be here for a few years, and uh, I've never left. So <laughs> met my, met my future ex-wife the night I moved here. And I'm sure that's part of what kept me here too. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it wound up being a, um, you know, a good thing for me to get here and, um, beat the proverbial gold rush that, uh, Nashville seems to have turned into in the last five or six years or so. Yeah. Cause it sounds like I always thought it was like a country town, but now it's just like an entire like music, uh, capital, I guess. Well, I think um, what you're seeing in Nashville is it's it's a great place to hub out of for any music genre. I mean, yeah, Nashville's known for country music, obviously, with the history here and everything else. But then you've got, you know, you've got the Christian artist community, which is not my bag at all. <laughs> but it's been hubbed out of here forever. At least that's something I discovered after I got here. Um back in the early 2000s and um you know furthermore if you look geographically just at where nashville's at as far as the convenience factor of you know being able to fly direct to major cities all across the u.s being more centrally located just being able to hub out of in general and all the major labels have home offices in nashville of some sort it's just it makes all the sense in the world as a musician to be here unless you just I mean, for me, and I'm not like I'm just not in love with L.A. And the cost of living out there is asinine. I mean, I've got a friend who has a an apartment that would fit in my living room. My living room is not that big, uh, and he pays three hundred and fifty dollars more a month to live in that apartment. Oh wow! You know, <laughs> than I pay for, you know, a modest but you know decent sized ranch home on a one acre property you know so it's it's just crazy to me to you know think about what the cost of living's like out there um not to mention traffic and gas and everything else and you you know i'm just seeing a ton of friends and a ton of musicians that are buying property here and and moving here full uh part-time if not full-time at least 
um, you know, and they're able to live way better at a uh, for the same price here that they can out in L.A. You know, and New York City obviously is, you know, every bit as expensive and just as congested or worse, really. You know, so it just makes a lot of sense. You know, it's real easy to live here and, um, you know, hub out of here. And uh, just have a better lifestyle in general. Plus, God, I mean, you can't throw a rock without hitting a recording studio. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to know where the next recording studio is, just, you know, closest recording studio is, just go either direction from your house and knock on three doors and somebody's probably got one built into their house, <laughs> you know. So, um, it, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, just, it's, it's a really good city for that. So, uh, speaking of uh, recording studios, are you uh, working on anything new with like uh, Eastside Gamblers? Well, you know, the Gamblers, we've been slowly starting to, I mean, we work slow. We always have um, schedules, lives, everything else, uh, you know, but, you know, we aren't one of those. I, I found the Gamblers, we aren't one of those bands that writes 30 songs and whittles it down to 10 to make a record. We're a band that will, you know, we, we tend to work slower and really try to be meticulous, you know, song by song and, uh, you know, maximize our efforts into those tunes to, you know, really generally what you hear is what we've been working on and there's not much left over. Now, the last EP we had, uh, you know, we probably did demo. 10 songs in track five um you know but that was because nick uh Rassi Lennox, who produced it wanted you know he 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 was listening and he was quality control and he had a real vision for what he wanted that to sound like and uh you know we went into it with the intent of making an ep to begin with and so that uh you know he he would say yes no no yes i mean there's a couple songs that i remember him giving the no to and being shocked uh, but then I go back and I listen to, you know, how that EP tracks and how the songs are sequenced and I listen to it and I listen to the overall vibe and the sound of it and I get it, you know? So anyways, yeah, but we've been, we've been starting to write and, uh, prepping to demo some stuff, but obviously with this quarantine thing, it's kind of slammed the brakes on that. So I think everybody's just kind of had to press pause because, you know, um, we're trying to be really smart and really safe about the social distancing thing. I mean, at the end of the day, I have a compromised immune system, at least on paper. Um, I had cancer 12 years ago, and I did chemo. I had lymphoma, you know, your lymph nodes and your lymphatic system, are that's your the heart and soul of your immune system as far as being able to flush out toxins and stuff like that. And uh, It was in my chest and neck, and obviously, you know, corona is something that that's where it's going to attack, and that's where you're going to have the biggest problems. And so... I'm having to be extra cautious, stay at home. You know, everybody in the band is for different reasons. I mean, our drummer, Chris, he has a, he has a wife and a daughter. Our, our guitar player, Josh, he has a wife and a son and a daughter. And, you know, they, you know, we just got to be safe. And uh, is all it takes is one guy who had to go to the grocery store to get something who just by some fluke gets coughed on or grabs something that somebody else grabbed that hasn't been taken care or taking the precautions and, he can walk into the room and give it to everybody else or give it to somebody else and spread it around that fast. And, you know, you just, it's one of those things where, I mean, we're all dying to get back into a room and jam and we're all bored out of our minds and climb up the walls. But 
it's just not worth the risk right now until we get this curve to flatten out. And, uh, you know, until that happens, everybody's just got to go out of their way to be extra responsible because it's not that I don't trust them, but, you know, I've seen too much flagrant ignoring, you know, just, just when you do have to go to the grocery store, when you do have to go out and do anything that you, you know, when you're trying to stay home, I've seen way too many people that are just being way too flippant, unfortunately, about the whole situation. And, uh, you know, those are the people that unfortunately are going to slow the uh, progress of getting this thing's ass kicked, so to speak. Uh, and uh, so, you know, we're just trying to do our part on our end. We're trying to be safe, you know, for everybody else and, you know, for each other. I know what you mean, because um, not to go too far on the Corona stuff, but uh, I didn't realize something like, I guess when you're going to get gas, like there could be any number of people that are like touching uh, that pump handle too. So you don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you think about all those things that you just take for granted every day, but yeah, listen, man, I pumped gas the other day and I couldn't wash my hands fast enough because, you know, go to a gas station. You don't see somebody walking out, wiping the handle off with a sanitizer or any kind of sanitation wipe after people get done pumping gas. They're just out there pumping gas at one person after another, after another's grabbing it, you know? So you just don't know. And like I said, there's, there's, you know, sadly there's, there's people who either aren't taking this seriously at all, or, you know, there's people that just, everything's a conspiracy, unfortunately. And they're, they look at this as some conspiracy for one reason or another. It's not real or blah, 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 blah. Man, you know, the scientific numbers don't lie. And, um, you know, but it's people are going to do what they're going to do. And all you can do, you know, as a human right now is just try to be responsible, do the right thing, even though it's the hard thing to do in a lot of cases. And, uh, you know, just remember that, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's not just you or it's not just a small group of people. It's it's literally the whole world. Like we're all in this right now and we all got to, you know, do our part to uh, push through this. And, you know, there's one big takeaway from this whole thing, hopefully not to dwell on this forever, but hopefully if there's one big takeaway from this whole thing, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, it's, I would like to think it's going to open a lot of people's eyes to the things in the world that are, you know, things in life that are really, you know, important and uh, maybe strip away a certain layer of entitlement that I think, you know, a lot of us tend to, to carry without even realizing we're doing it, you know, and, and uh, just make us all a little bit more appreciative of, of what we have and uh, how fortunate we are to be where we're at in life. One thing you said though, about um, staying at home, is there something that I've really wanted to ask you is uh, about your um, record collection? Cause I know that you occasionally would spin stuff when you were, home between like tours but now you're doing it like every day a couple albums a day is there any kind of uh special like album that's like the coolest one that you bought like recently oh oh don't get me started on vinyl we'll, we'll, we'll geek out we'll go down a rabbit hole um actually that's what yeah. i want <laughs> hey i'm all about it i'll, I'll talk records yeah. no problem i mean i'm on my fourth record of the day right now while we're talking i just uh how many actually cups just of coffee <laughs> i stopped at three 
I'm drinking water right now. Um, I ah, sidebar. I love coffee. I love coffee way too much. I <laughs> really used to drink way too much of it. I was for a long time. I really got to be a pot, pot and a half a day person. And without fail, I was drinking way too much coffee, man. But I, um, I try to curb it now to two, three cups a day max. And I try to make sure I'm done drinking coffee before noon. And then after that, I just really don't drink anything but water for the rest of the day. Uh, so today was three cups, um, which if you followed my Instagram story, you can chronicle the three cups and the three albums <laughs> I was listening to yep. <laughs> while drinking the cups. And I tend to be a little scattered and a little all over the map. But uh, man, I don't know, like anything that's really jumped out recently. Well, actually just I listened to it today and I posted about it. Um because I'm all over the all over the map musically, uh, the reissue that Music on Vinyl just did of the uh, Incubus debut Science is killer. It sounds fantastic. They did it on double blue vinyl. I mean, it's a long record. You can't squeeze that onto one record, or it's going to be overly compressed and it's just going to sound like shit. But you know, they spread it across two albums. It sounds killer. Uh, they did a great job with the artwork, like gloss gatefold jacket. You know, the quality sleeves, 180 gram. Um, it, it and it really sounds great. Um, I could be wrong, but it sounds like they used the original masters. Like they actually got their hands on the masters and and did their due diligence, and it's not just some thrown together reissue. So that one's been awesome. Uh, you know, Sloan, who's one of my favorite power pop bands, Canadian band, they just reissued. Uh, are you familiar with Sloan at all? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> you should check them out if you're if you're a fan of power pop. I refer to them as Canada's jet before jet. Oh, wow. Like just really great, like two and three part harmony, power pop rock. Um, but they had an album in the nineties called Navy blues and they've been out touring the anniversary of that record, um, all this year and, uh, or up to, up into this year and all last year. Um, so I think that album originally came out in 99, so they're doing like a 20th anniversary and they reissued that album on vinyl and it's just a fantastic record. I've, I've spun that record more times than I can even begin to fathom. That's just a good one. Uh, so that one's great. Uh, man, the new Danko Jones album, <laughs> I, I'm still spinning that, but I mean, every time Danko puts a new record out, I'm into it. That's just good, pure, once again, Canadian rock and roll. Um, and the new backyard babies record, which was last year, obviously, uh, silver and gold, I thought that was, you know, right up there with with us. Any other record in their catalog in a lot of ways, and uh, just really strong songwriting. And this felt like they hit their stride on that record, really solid and uh, real cohesive, real tight, real punchy record. Oh, and I can't say all of that without mentioning the uh, the last Wild Hearts record, Renaissance Man. I thought that was that you know contender for number one record of the year last year, definitely top three. You know, that was such a great album. I'm still spending that one quite a bit. So there you go. That's, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, right now I'm listening to, to, uh, the reissue of, uh, Kiss's Revenge while we're talking. So all over the map. And that's another rabbit hole we could go down to. <laughs> oh, you were, absolutely. You were listening to Alive 2 earlier today, too. I was. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I've got, um, that was, that particular copy of Alive 2, like I've got 
a couple copies of it. And I stumbled across that. I didn't realize I still had it or I didn't necessarily know where it was at. And I just stumbled across that one. And that was my copy of that album from when I was a kid. And I looked at it. I was like, man, it looks like it's in pretty good shape. Because let's be honest, man, my, a lot of my records when I was a kid are trashed, just trashed. You know, I, I played those things into the ground. I would be scared to drop a needle on my copy of Destroyer that I got when I was seven years old <laughs> for fear of what it would do to the cartridge of my record player just from trying to play it. But uh, which is why that that particular copy of that album is in a frame um, on the wall. Because, you know, it's just a huge part of my life, but is it's been retired officially. So, um, but yeah, but that, that copy of Alive 2 is in remarkably good shape. I couldn't believe it. So, a little hiss and pop, but but nothing bad. And, um, you know, it's just a good record to get the, get the day going for sure. Yeah, after I saw that you posted that, I went and uh, pulled out uh, the copy that I have. It's like used one I bought like 10 years ago, and I... I guess I forgot. It still had all the little uh, inserts in there. There was like tattoos. Nice. And like the booklet was in there. So I yep. thought that was kind of cool looking at the tattoos. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you bought that 10 years ago. You probably got it for a really good price. And now, you know, I mean, yeah, they sold a kajillion copies of that record. But, you know, a lot, a lot of places you'll go to and people are trying to pay like, you know, or, or trying to sell those things for like 40, 50 bucks for a copy that's clean that has all that shit in it, which is just preposterous but it is what it is so is there anything that like uh you bought like because i know you go out on the road on like touring with your bands but do you ever get to like shop um on like off days and stuff like that that is probably where i buy the bulk of my records okay um you know i i figured out you know with touring buying records is a really good hobby although it can be pretty expensive if you're not careful, you know? And, you know, I, I'm fairly frugal about what I'll pay for something as far as records. Cause I mean, you know, there's, and I, I've kind of discovered there are different markets that you can, you know, find better deals on different stuff. Um, you know, there's some areas that if you're looking for eighties rock or metal, you're going to pay through the nose, but there's other areas you can go to, and it's just not regarded in the same way. Other areas in the country, and you'll get it for, you know, you'll get that copy of, of Love Hates Black out in the Red Room for, you know, 12, 15 bucks versus you go somewhere else and you might have to pay 40 to 60 for it, you know. So uh, there's, you know, I'm definitely trying to be smart about what I'm going to spend on stuff. And then every once in a while, you just got to recognize when you're seeing a unicorn that you've never seen before and you don't know when you're going to see it again, and, you know. If you got to pay up for it a little bit, you pay up for it just because, you know, when are you going to get another chance to pick up, you know, the helicopters, uh, Grande Rock or something like that, you know? So I, I have that on vinyl. Um, and I didn't pay through the nose for it, but it wasn't, you know, especially cheap. And I'm glad I bought it when I did because I've never seen another copy since, you know? So uh, there's just, you know, there's just got to be smart with stuff like that. But, you know, when you're on the, when, when we're traveling, you know, a lot of times I'll go record shop and hit two or three stores before sound check or after sound check before the gig. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing about being on tours. You know, there's sound check and then there's a show. And then besides eating, 
you've got to figure out what to do to occupy yourself for the other God knows how many hours of that day. And, uh, you know, the last thing you want to do is sit on a bus. Um, you know, it's, it's good to ride in after the show. It's a blessing to have, and it's wonderful to be able to have a, a bed to sleep in. But, you know, as soon as you get parked, you want to get pulled over. And if the weather permits, get off that bus and go find something to do. Um, whether it's just walking somewhere to get a cup of coffee or, you know, me and Jared and Tom's band, we keep our, uh, um, golf clubs under the tour bus and we go play golf whenever time permits. And, uh, you know, then me and my guitar tech, Rob, uh, we're usually the ones who are out record shopping whenever we get a chance. So, uh, it is, it is not, I, 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 I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed to say that, uh, I have come home, um, after being on tour for a month with a hundred albums, <laughs> it has happened. I remember going, I remember looking at, at all the records I'd hauled in on one run and I just remember counting them and going, holy shit, what did you do? But then I'm looking going, well, I got this for three bucks and I got this for five bucks and I got this for seven bucks, you know, and I started looking at this stuff and you know, there's stuff that I'm looking for that's like, you know, holy grail stuff, you know, that I really want to get for myself or, you know, that I just love, love, love. And it's really hard to find. And, you know, um, but then there's stuff that I'll see. It's be like, eh, you know what? I don't have this journey record. There's a couple songs on here. I like for five bucks, you know, what the hell? And then I, you know, I, I get home and I put on journeys infinity and go, holy shit, I forgot what an amazing record this is from front to back. And then I wound up listening to it a ton, you know? So, or, uh, you know, like the Steve Miller bands, Fly Like an Eagle, you know? Stuff like that. that it's just been around for so long. Maybe I haven't listened to it on purpose in decades. But then I, I put it on and I'm just transported back and I'm reminded of just what a fantastic record it is. And, you know, and then I wind up listening to it, you know, 20 times in a month. So you know, when you're picking up stuff like that for three, four, five dollars, you know, first Eddie Money record, same thing, you know, stuff like that. It's it's worth every penny and then some. At that point, you're just you're getting a bargain. <laughs> Is there like uh, you were talking about areas to get uh, stuff, or they might jack up the price? Are there any like cool like shops that you've found that you've went back to multiple times too? Man, there are. There are some shops that I've found, um, you know, just cities I found that, you know, I've had good luck in. Like I've, I walk away with cool stuff, um, you know, walk in, not even necessarily looking for something sometimes and just go, oh my God, I haven't seen this or they've got this. There's a place up in the um, Detroit Flint area called uh, Jack's Record Stash that um, they have, you know, Every time I go in there, I wind up finding something cool. Like my guitar tech, Rob, he walked out of there the first time we went in um, with an original copy of uh, White Zombies, La Sex Resisto, in the, um, with the glow-in-the-dark green vinyl, which is just you know uber rare and uh, honestly worth probably more than they were asking for it. And, um, you know he was super stoked to pick that up. And, um, uh, you know, there was a shop out in Scottsdale. I'm trying to remember the name of it off the top of my head. I literally have to, I literally have to take my phone off my ear and, 
and look it up. Um, but there's a shop in Scottsdale that had some great stuff that um, uh, I found a copy of the first Badlands record at, oh, which shit. I already <laughs> had. Yeah, I already had it. Um, but I wanted to, I had a friend who I knew wanted it really badly and their price they had on it was fair. So I grabbed that. I bought it and actually just made them ship it directly to him just to take care of him. And, uh, cause I owed him a couple favors and, uh, you know, so yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's some towns or what, what I find, you know, I have a lot of luck in is, um, some cities, you know, not what you're not like your biggest cities like LA, probably find some cool stuff but you're gonna pay for it um new york same thing nashville can even be kind of tough um depending but uh you know i got a couple little spots i like to go to around here but um you know then you go to a city like columbus ohio that's got a population but it's not like this major booming metropolitan thing it's just you know cool kind of a mid-size town you know and they've got like six seven killer record stores and you go there and you're getting stuff for you know a half or a third of the price of what i'd pay for at nashville if i found it you know super fair prices hmm. so um you know that's when i'll that's when i'll go you know spend a day record shopping and wind up on the bus with 40 records from one town <laughs> Cause it's like, Oh my God, look at this. I got this one for three bucks and I got this mint copy of the Randy Rhodes tribute album for $8, you know, and stuff like that. That's when I'm geeking out and losing my mind. <laughs> yeah. I've only got, um, I guess like Denny's around here, but then, uh, I've got an uncle out in Arizona and I don't know if the one you were referring to out there is a Zia, but that's really the only other place I've been. Now listen, I'll tell you what, Zia, it's 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 that's not what I'm mentioning. The place I'm talking about, if I remember right, I think it might be called In the Groove. And it's in the Scottsdale area. It's an indie store. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Zia, man, there's those are all over out west. And those shops are cool. Like I will find uh I will find um stuff in there used they're just constantly churning inventory and i can almost always walk into their just arrive section and find something that's just a good price that maybe i wasn't even thinking about or maybe that was something that was newer or or pressed in the last 10 or 15 years that's like yeah i don't want to pay 30 dollars for this record but they've got it for 12 you know and i always wind up i always wind up walking out of see it with something you know plus i got like the rewards cards you know like the little you know, they stamp them and then you, after so many, you get a free record or, you know, it's, they, they, they've, they've got a good thing going on out there. And, uh, you know, some of them are better than others, but I've, I generally never walk into a Z without walking out with a record. So yeah, you're spinning kiss right now. Um, I didn't really want to go down that rabbit hole too much. <laughs> uh, but I know when you, uh, posted that kiss alive too, you said, I think that that's like, like memorable because the, uh, the gatefold thing is kind of I uh, got you into what you wanted to do as a career, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, I was I was obsessed with music from the time I I can I could crawl. My dad couldn't keep me out of his records, and he'd be the first person to tell you that. And literally, when I was like, God, I'm gonna say I was three, 
I don't even think I was four years old yet. Uh, he got me a little JCPenney console stereo that had a record player and an eight-track player and a radio and a little pair of speakers and gave me this little stack of records out of his own collection and bought me a couple of new things um, just to keep me out of his stuff. <laughs> um, because I was always in his records. Um, I was always listening to stuff. Um, there's a photo, there's a Polaroid of me as a baby baby, like diaper, big green 70s headphones on with the coil cord going into the console stereo. And I'm laying on the floor and I'm asleep. And I remember seeing that photo years ago and point at it, looking at my dad and going, that's, that's staged, isn't it? And he goes, no, it's not. And I go, what? And he goes, he goes, no. He goes, he goes, when you were a baby and you get real fussy, there was, I could put headphones on you and there was a few albums I could put on. You would totally relax and go to sleep. Uh, there are a few albums specifically that I really seem to like. It turns out those albums were um, Grand Funk Railroad's Mark Don and Mel album, the uh, Deep Purple, Made in Japan, and um, Black Sabbath Volume 4. <laughs> this is just a toddler, you know, <laughs> which is hilarious to me because I, I, I will say to this day, and this is no bullshit, like those records when they come on, there's a certain feeling of nostalgia when i put those records on that i get still you know in my 40s that i don't get necessarily with any other record it's just those few records um that he was spinning when i was a baby that were kind of my first introduction to music and to hard rock and everything else that uh you know really i think helped set the course for you know my life ambition uh, being a musician um but kiss alive too now when i was a kid uh and i lived in monmouth there's uh a guy who's my best friend when i was growing up and we're actually still best friends um him and his wife actually stayed with me a couple weeks ago just before this covid thing really blew up as they were passing back through tennessee coming going back to illinois from florida from having a vacation um his name's mike fisher and mike in my backyard's you know, faced each other. So I was always over there from the time I was like four years old. Well, Mike had Kiss Alive too. And he had some old Pearl concert toms that his uncle, uh, who was a drummer, had given him. And uh, when we were kids, we would hang out and he put on a live tune be jumping up and down on the bed and playing air guitar with a tennis racket. And Mike would be beating on those concert toms in his room and stuff like that. But you'd look at that gatefold, you know, that giant stage, which is still like, that's the, that's the watermark by which all other stages should be judged. I mean, that photo in that moment, you know, it's just, that's just insanity. I mean, that's the magic of, of rock and, you know, it's just it's just the, it's one of the coolest photos ever taken you know it's funny to read later that kiss says oh we were um you know literally that that session when that photo was shot it was us doing everything that happened during a kiss show at once like all the pyro was blowing simultaneously and the drum riser was up in the air and everything you know but i mean that 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 photo is just iconic it's it's just one of the best ever Almost got goosebumps a little bit with you talking about that. Well, I, you know, man. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, we all get older and we find out, you know, different things later. It's like 
you know, the, 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 the curtain gets pulled back a little bit and you're like, Oh yeah, a lot of that record was overdubbed and this, that and the other. And then most seventies records, live albums weren't really all that live or weren't live at all. And you're just like, Oh, you know, things, you, things you don't want to find out, but you know, it's funny as I posted about that record this morning. Um, uh, my buddy, uh, Daniel Decay made a comment about, you know, studio or live or whatever, those heavier versions of those tunes really, you know, are kind of the, the staple for him. And, you know, I think a lot of people would say the same thing about uh, Thin Lizzy's Live and Dangerous. I mean, that album is notoriously overdubbed, but you talk to Damon Johnson, um, you know, who was in Lizzy for, you know, who still does Lizzy shows when they do shows for that matter. And he'll tell you that, you know, it's pretty much agreed upon between, you know, him and Scott, anybody else that's involved with that, that those versions on Live and Dangerous are the quintessential versions of those songs. That's how you play them. You know, we when I do Jailbreak with Damon, there's a certain way that groove is played that is not like the studio record. It's got a it's got a push to it, um, you know, and uh, it's he plays it just like, you know, that's the live and dangerous push. It's just a thing, man. It's the way you lean into it. And, you know, that's how you got to play that song live to really make it, you know, have its full energy. And when he showed that to me and I heard it, I just went, yep, there it is. You know, I, I totally got it at that point. Speaking of the uh, Thin Lizzy stuff too, that Johnny the Fox, you guys were doing that last summer. And that sounds like so killer, like live compared to even like the studio for that one too. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think a lot of bands, that's a fun one to play. That's not, you know, that's not the most common thing out there. And plus, you know, Jared Pope playing drums on that, he totally understands how that song's supposed to swing and the pocket of that tune. And he just, you know, really, he really makes the most of that when we when we bust that out live. It's, I'd say it's in more sets than not, you know, when I'm playing with Damon. And, uh, um, but I think there's a lot of bands out there that, their studio records are great and I love listening to those studio records, but you know, they've got a live record that almost winds up being their gold standard. Um, I think thin Lizzy could be looked at as one of those bands. Um, some of those songs just translate better live than they do on album kiss would, you know, tell you that alive is what put them on the map because that's what, that's what made people understand what all the fuss was about because the studio records weren't getting that done, you know? Um, although I love those studio records, I absolutely love them, but, uh, you know, kiss alive, whole different energy. And it kind of helps project that bombast, you know, through your speakers and gives you the feel of what was happening. Um, I think another band that could, that argument could absolutely be made for be UFO. I mean, you know, strangers in the night is, uh, um, that that's, that's Michael Schenker, you know, young and hungry, that band at the height of their powers, you know, it's like a live greatest hits and every every version of every song on that record is the best version of that song. You know, that that album just just straight slays from front to back. And, you know, like I said, Michael's playing is just otherworldly on that record. He's just on fire. Speaking of playing stuff live, too, I thought uh, first time I saw you guys last year at that show at Rascals. Uh, you broke out a couple covers. You did uh, The Last in Line and uh, She from uh, Kiss. Is like Last in Line like a big album for you too? Or like how did you throw that one in the set? You know, that one, you know, I love Dio. Who doesn't love Dio? Um, 
But I mean, you know, I love Dio and Sabbath. I love Dio solo. You know, I mean, those pipes are just undeniable. And yeah, man, those those first couple uh, Dio records of Viv Campbell are, you know, classics. There's there's nothing you know that can be taken away from those records. Um, Dio's just one of those. Every once in a while, you know, we, we'll play covers from time to time. And the Gamblers will throw. We, we're usually good for throwing a cover in the set almost every gig, just depending on how much time we got to play. Um, not because we have to, not because we don't have enough material, but you know, you get put in a situation like, for example, you were seeing us at Rascals, first time we've ever played up there. So there's a lot of people there that don't necessarily know our music, or maybe they know a song or two that was getting spun on the radio, and that's it. And you know what? It's it's fun for us to get up there and just jam on something old that we all love. And I think it also serves as an opportunity to break up the set a little bit and uh, give people something that, you know, they know, you know, that you know they know, they probably love if they're there watching your band. And uh, it just it just adds a different energy to the room. And, um, you know, I didn't remember doing two covers that night. Although I feel like we played one of those in sound check. It wasn't actually part of the show, which is very possible. Hmm. But, um, uh, you know, it, it, uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we'll just do stuff like that every once in a while. Cause I think that, I think the next night we went and played in Macomb and we did Jesus Christ pose by Soundgarden. <laughs> Why I remember that? I don't know, but I, I seem to remember doing that song there. So, you know, we, well, a lot of times we'll just get in a room and be like, hey, man, we should totally do, uh, you know, stand up and shout, or we should do, uh, you know, steal away the night, or, you know, I'm just kind of thinking of some of the the crazier covers we've done. We've done. I mean, one time we actually did, was it Friday on My Mind? Is that the name of that song? Or the 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 one by the Easy Beats? Oh, man. Uh, you got me stumped. I don't <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was Angus and Malcolm Young's older brother. Uh, Stevie Young. It was his band, The Easy Beats, from Australia. They had one pseudo hit, and we did that one night. That was my brother's idea. And uh, um, I remember people just looking at us going, two thirds of the room was looking at us going, "What the fuck is this?" And the other third of the room is going, "I cannot believe they're playing this fucking song right now." But you know, we're just having fun. You know, <laughs> if you can't have if you can't have fun, then then what are you doing there? <laughs> Yeah. Um, I guess just trying to check the pulse of the room, maybe. Sometimes, sometimes, you know. So, uh, I mean, some rooms are tougher than others. I'd like to think we generally get a pretty good reception. But uh, every once in a while, you're there to see a band that – or you're every once in a while, you're opening for a band or playing with a band that that crowd is there to see that band, and they don't give two shits about you. You are just the band that is standing in the way of them seeing the band that they paid money to see. You know, so at that point, you got to maybe be a little more on your toes, a little more creative to, you know, hopefully uh, garner some love and attention from them and maybe sell a little bit of merch at the end of the night and be able to afford to put gas in the car to get you to the next gig. I guess it was kind of the same way because I hadn't, I mean, I hadn't really heard the gamblers, but I had heard of you. And then after you did those uh, covers, I was like, all right, okay, you're doing Kiss. You're, of course, a friend of Denny. <laughs> yeah there you go and i've known denny denny smith um in case you don't know who we're talking about he's the 
uh, guitar player and Bombshell Crush, but you know, has the great affairs now and then had the band former before that. And, uh, was in best of seven and, you know, kind of Peoria Pekin native slash, uh, legend. I mean, don't tell him I said legend. Um, we won't be able to get his head through the door, but, I'll cut that uh, out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Edit legend, please. So no, but I loved any, he's, uh, he's one of the best of the best, man. Love him like a brother. We spent a lot of time in a van together and, you know, spend a lot of time busting each other's balls, usually about music in a good way. You know, our good natured debates about uh, whether or not um, Dynasty is better than Unmasked, which everybody knows Dynasty is way better than Unmasked. Um, although Denny seems to want to argue that just as much as he wants to argue the fact that for some reason he seems to think that Paul Stanley's 78 solo record is the best when it's, you know, a universal truth that everybody knows that Ace Frehley's 78 solo record is the best. But... <laughs> But I digress. Um, but you know, the Denny elder. and I met or the elder. The elder's special. I mean, listen, I won't lie. I listened to that thing. What I think you probably saw me and him going back and forth online about that a few yeah. days back. <laughs> and I literally put that record on and I was doing shit around the house. I flipped that record over enough times that I realized I'd listened to it three times before it came off the turntable. Um, so I gave it every chance known to man. Um, and, and, there's some songs on there I really do enjoy, and there's a nostalgia factor to that record that that obviously is there for me too. But you know, it's I'm not going to go out there and run the flag up the pole and scream to the heavens that The Elder is this amazing masterpiece of a record. You know, especially when there's been interviews where Bob Ezrin apologizes for all the cocaine he was doing while he made that record and how he puts most of the blame on his own shoulders for how that thing turned out. <laughs> but uh, um. Yeah, I just, uh, anyways, while we were talking about Denny, yeah, I met Denny Smith, (laughs) just so you know, I met Denny Smith in a bar in Macomb, Illinois, and I'm doing the math in my head, this would have probably been 1993, and I was in a band there called Split Personality, um, with Ted Renner, Chad Dennis, Jim Mueller, Ted, you might know from the Illinois area because he's got the Hong Kong sleepover now. Um, fronts that band, and we've been great friends ever since. But I was at this bar in Macomb called Swanee's where we played all the time, and Fox was playing there that night. There was like a three or four bands from the Peoria area that had trekked over to Macomb where we were doing a gig there that night, and Fox was one of them. And Denny was standing behind the soundboard just hanging out, and I don't know why, but I just introduced myself to him. We started talking, and I saw a little bit of his band. I'd seen a little bit of his band set and, you know, thought he was cool. And, you know, we just kind of got to know each other and got to be buds, and then we jammed together um, off and on. Nothing of any real consequence when I was in Illinois, uh, you know, but we would get together and jam. We tried to get some different stuff going. It was usually me and him and uh, Don Mabus. Um, who I think Don is playing in, um, he's playing in Bogart Jones now. Yep. Yep. And, uh, I played with Ryan Rose and, uh, who's also in Bogart Jones. I played with him in a band for a while and, uh, um, with Gary Horry on drums and, uh, but yeah, Denny and I just always, you know, got along. We're buddies. We're a lot of same music. Um, got to be pretty tight. Heck, um, I was working at co-op tapes and records in Galesburg and then when Rob, the original owner, decided he wanted to get out of that, he actually wound up selling that, and uh, Denny wound up buying it, or Denny's family did. 
And uh, so I guess I even worked for Denny for a little bit, even though it was indirectly and he was living, you know, he was living an hour, 15 hour, 30 away. But now I went to Atlanta for a few years and then Denny was thinking about moving to Nashville. I think he'd already been here once left and was going to come back. And, you know, he was basically going to come back to get Bombshell Crush going because he had the music stores, his record store kind of on autopilot. He didn't necessarily need to be there to do that. So, um, I came up and jammed with him and Billy Baker and, uh, uh, Joey Osisic, who was there early on and, um, Michael Clark. And we got together and jammed for an afternoon or a weekend or whatever. And at the time my band in Atlanta just broke up and, you know, I didn't have anything really timey there. And, uh, I was like, yeah, shit, sure. Why not? I'll come up to Nashville. And so that's what I wound up doing. And, uh, you know, Lo and behold, like I said, I've been here all these years, but Denny and I are still buds and we still, you know, grab lunch whenever we get a second and catch up and go to each other's shows. And, um, I just had a phone call with him probably five or six days ago that lasted an hour. So, yep. Yeah. Cause I guess I wasn't aware that you're like, I didn't know, uh, you being from Illinois, I didn't know if your paths had kind of crossed before bombshell crush or not. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, probably I think it was '93, and it was uh, at Swanee's office in Macomb, Illinois. Hmm. So I had a lot of fun, and I had too much fun in that place. That that place was almost dangerous. I look back on it now, and I'm like, Jesus Christ. There's a certain period in your life where you kind of wonder how you didn't go to jail. Um, <laughs> that there's there's a couple of nights where I probably should have back then, and uh, you know, I'm glad I snuck through those relatively unscathed. Got another question for you too. Um, I don't want to keep you too long, but I noticed you're fine. I noticed uh, something else online. You and uh, Tom Kiefer, uh, you guys did a cover of uh, "Shake Me," and I thought that that was like so awesome because it does kind of sound like uh, some kind of like uh, swampy New Orleans blues style. Really translated well. Yeah. Well, you know, Tom hit um. I want to say there was there was something that Tom had done before the solo band got put together, uh, where he had already recorded some sort of a bluesy acoustic version of "Shake Me" on his own. But I think I think it was just him and an acoustic guitar, and that was it. Well, when we when he started doing, you know, when he put together the solo band, and we started doing that. There was um, there there was not a. I mean, we were, we were playing small rooms. Uh, we were playing little clubs to medium-sized clubs. You know, we are not. You know, we we were not we were not playing the larger clubs or theaters or you know doing these package bills that we've grown into, thankfully, over the years. You know, it was, but it was a different feel, it's a different vibe, and so therefore it was a different set. And you know, at the time, the label we were on wanted us to go out and do a little bit more of an intimate tour to try to rebrand him so to speak into uh being a solo artist and and uh so in response to that i think tom you know was formulating a little different type of set flow and uh we did a pretty i don't want to say lengthy acoustic portion but there was there was you know a part in the middle of the set we really broke it down that i don't remember if it was six songs at one point but it was you know it was pretty broken down. And, um, you know, so we were doing like stuff off that, off the way life goes, like ask me yesterday and, um, the flower song. But then we were also doing, you know, 
an all acoustic version, I think, of Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone back then. Um, we were doing, God, we even did one for rock and roll uh, off a of Heartbreak Station, if you can believe that. But um, that version of Shake Me was in there too. And when I heard what he was wanting to do with it, I immediately thought, you know, this would be really cool, some Dobro, which he's all about. He's all about slide too. So I got my hands on a Dobro and kind of worked up that version with him and, uh, you know, the two part harmonies and all that stuff. And, um, which I know my guitar tech at the time loved having to drag around a Dobro for one song, keep that thing in tune. Um, but yeah, we, we did that. And, um, you know, that's the version you heard. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's a, that's a record and it's all live. There's that. I, th- I feel like that's probably from a radio appearance somewhere. If I was a betting man that I don't think I had heard that version of that, or if I had, I hadn't heard it since right after it was recorded, but we would do some morning radio stuff. Um, the first year or two we were out where we'd have to go in and play a song or two at the ass crack of dawn. And, you know, I'm still on my first or maybe second cup of coffee if I'm lucky, but all those morning shows run super early, be like 6 37 AM. And it's like, God, does my voice even want to work at this time of day? Um, you know, but, but we would usually do shake me in context with something else off the new record. And, uh, that's probably from one of those, but I know that's, that's live. And, uh, that, that that's just a lot of fun. That was, that was a fun version of, of a way to play that. But Tom's songs, he's so bluesy anyways, that taking a song like that and doing some bluesy spin on it generally seems to work um, because that's just where his bread and butter's at at the end of the day, blues-based hard rock. Because, yeah, I listened to that, and I wasn't sure if it was something you guys had uh, just recently done or, as you no, said, I guess it's been a version. Uh... That's got to be from at least five or six years ago. Gotcha. So we were doing that back in... 2013 when we we're doing the first tour um and probably 2014 also i don't know if we ever did it beyond that but it's very possible there might have been some random radio station or two that we did that at even after we'd taken it out of the set you know as far as 2015 because i feel like by the time we got to 2015 or so we were you know kind of doing the full tilt version of that song in the set how has the new album been doing uh has it been getting a good response and stuff because i know that came out back in the fall yeah i mean the new record's been doing great uh it's from what i understand i mean listen i i always preface conversations about this stuff with well i just play guitar so um but from what the buzz i'm hearing from what i'm understanding um with the information i've been given is uh this record is doing really well and uh the label's super happy and it's far exceeding expectations. And, um, you know, the response to that I've seen from the singles has really been fantastic. And, uh, you know, the first one for death of me and then, uh, you know, for, um, now we're into hype and hypes doing really well and, uh, radio stations are picking it up and, uh, it's a, you know, real heavy, uh, real heavy track something that's you know maybe a little heavier than anything else that tom's ever done and uh you know the response on it the buzz has been really great so you know we'll uh hopefully hopefully everything just stays where it's at with the with the pause button of of the COVID 19 thing right now and then when we unpause 
and get to go back out on tour. We can just pick up where we left off and uh, just keep driving that momentum forward. But I kind of feel like that's what's happening with everybody right now. I see, you know, records that were supposed to be released getting put on hold indefinitely and stuff like that, just because, you know, you got to be able to go out and tour and support it. And nobody's able to go out and tour right now. So we're all just kind of sitting still and waiting for this thing to die down. But in the meantime, you know, uh, hype's getting picked up by radio stations and uh, the video's getting looked at a lot. And, you know, it's uh, I'm getting good feedback about it on a, on a really regular basis. So I got no complaints. Oh, um, awesome. Because I know you guys, like, I was looking at the tour dates. You're supposed to uh, tour. If everything goes as planned, you're supposed to tour with, like, I think uh, Slaughter and Skid Row and, uh, and Rat. Rat, yeah. Yep, yep. And listen, I think, I, I, I mean, who knows? There's no way to know when that starts and when that ends at this point. I mean, I know we've got we've got all the dates, obviously, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, the promoters are just sitting back and, and looking at, uh, you know, what the possibilities are going to be and if things can stay the way they are, if things are going to have to be moved. And, um, you know, there's n- no way of knowing right now. Once again, I just play guitar. But, um, you know, everybody that's everybody that's a part of that package is really excited about getting out there and doing it. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of really positive buzz and, you know, feedback about that tour. And uh, we're really looking forward to getting at it. I hope we can do it sooner than later. Um, I know everybody does. I mean, I, I'm sure people want to get out and go to rock shows just as bad as we want to play them at this point. But, uh, you know, we'll just have to see when that's going to be. And then when it is, we'll just maximize it, make the most of it and have a really good tour. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for talking with me today, man. It's been like really Absolutely. awesome uh, digging into some of your history and hearing about your record collection. <laughs> like I said, we could we could just do two rec- two hours on records probably pretty easy. Um, but, uh, you know, it's uh, – uh, it's, it's, I could have worse habits. Let's say that, you know. Um, I understand now um, why musicians – younger musicians drink way too much and start doing drugs <laughs> because you're trying to find, you're trying to find something to do for the other, you know, 21 hours in a day that you're not sound checking or, or playing a show. You're just bored. And, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck with, with nobody except your band and yourself. And, you know, you got, you just got to find positive hobbies and positive things to do. And, you know, just try to keep positive momentum going forward. And, and, uh, you know, the record collecting thing for me um, is definitely an extension of that. And plus, man, I just I, I love that stuff. I love music. I love getting out there. I love the nostalgia of, you know, having that a tangible 12 inch slab of vinyl that you can throw on a turntable and, you know, just take it all in. And I enjoy the way it sounds better than most digital formats. And I'm not taking away from CDs. CDs, they really do sound fantastic. They do. I just generally find that probably because of the way records have to be compressed in order to keep the needle from flying out of the grooves. I can listen to records all day long and all night. And my ears don't feel like they've taken a beating at the end of it. Like they do. If I've been listening to the CDs all the time that have been, you know, mastered, you know, with brick wall mastering, which you can do with a digital format that just makes everything sound loud, even when it's not. So, you know, I, it's, not to take away from CDs, I still have a couple thousand CDs. <laughs> I've never gotten rid of any of them, um, and I still listen to them from time to time. But but I really do enjoy records, and like I said, it's just a good, positive, fun hobby, you know. At this point in my life, and uh, 
you know, it coincides with, with my main passion in life anyways, which is just music. So there's that. I guess too, with records, like I like the bigger artwork too, especially like we were talking about the kiss with the gatefold stuff. It's like, I don't know with the CD, it's kind of small, but with the, at the big vinyl package, you get stuff in there that you don't normally. Yeah, get. absolutely. You know, and you, and you get, just, you lay the records out, and, you know, as a kid, I'd lay the records on the floor and I just stare at the covers, you know, that was the thing. It was that packaging. It was, you know, just, you know, all that, all that, all those little bits of information, you know, all those photos, you know, all that artwork. It was just, that was what it was all about. That's what it, it that's what it still is all about for me. Um, you know, and, uh, I mean, regardless, I, you know, listen to music and whatever medium that makes you happy, you know, just as long as you're listening to music, it's, it's good for, it's good for everyone. It's good for the world. Um, you know, I like something with a, with an actual package, you know, I definitely think that anything on vinyl or on CD is going to sound better than, you know, anything streaming for the most part. But, uh, um, you know, once again, at the end of the day, as long as you're listening to music and puts a smile on your face, then you're doing whatever's right for you. And that's all that matters. Yep. Especially now, because like, I guess everybody's um, home too. It's a good way to kind of just escape from everything with a good record. Absolutely. And it'll, it'll, help, it'll help take the hours off on a clock, that's for sure. Um, and yeah, you're right, what you said at the beginning of the interview. That definitely, I've had more time to listen to more albums. Although... I will say that uh, when I'm home, if I'm not on tour, I absolutely, the first thing I do every single morning before I do anything else, pretty much 363 days out of the year, you know, out of 365, as I make my first cup of coffee and I sit down and I put on a record and I don't do anything else until that record is done playing. <laughs> kind of helps get your head in the right space to start the day with. I guess some people have yoga to relax. You've got like coffee and a record. Yeah, I do yoga too, but oh. coffee and a records first. Yeah, yoga is usually yoga is usually in between the first and the second cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, true Tony. story. Um, well, thanks for talking to me today, man. It was very cool Absolutely. to uh, talk to you because I know I've talked to you at shows, but it was like very brief. Well, yeah, we're usually screaming over some band that's playing or yeah. about to play. Yeah, <laughs> So it's all good, man. It's great talking to you too, Andy. Yep. Um, we'll have to do it again soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Let me know. 